Thank you, Gracie, for using your gifts for God. What a blessing. Well, this morning, for our scripture reading, as we look at the next stony ground area of the heart to deal with, this me first issue for our scripture is reading is Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 48. Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 48. And I'll ask when you find that if you'll stand in our great God's honor as I read it aloud. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever claims this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me, welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Let's pray. Father, we come here knowing you are the greatest. And you are the servant of all, Lord. We're told in your word, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, as we check out stony ground, Lord. Look at the soil of my heart. The heart of each one here. And Father, may we let you break up stony ground, Lord. That you may be able to sow in that soil what you want to grow. So I pray that you work through the time we have left. We just want to keep worshiping you. Thank you that so far we have been able, Father. For you are the one who deserves the glory, not us, Lord. We are not to be glory seekers, but rather glory reflectors, reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ who died for us on the cross. So, Lord, just work. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I was looking through some of the Guinness Book World Records. You know, there are those people that just have to be first. Have to break a record. And I just want to share a few of these with you. Johanna Quas, the oldest living gymnast, was born November 1925 in Germany. Up until just a few years ago, when he was at the age of 86, he was still a regular competitor in amateur gymnastics. 86 years old. Uh, Here's one y'all will appreciate. The preacher who has gone down in history as having preached the longest sermon. This should make me feel better. Uh, Reverend Ronald Gallagher of Appomattox, Virginia, when he was in his mid-80s, preached a sermon, get this, that lasted for 120 hours. I bet he lost the congregation. Uh, anyway, June 26th to July 1st. I just say that so you'll appreciate. Okay. Another entry shows a man who holds the world record for sitting without support in a tree. He sat in a tree for a total of 431 days. I hope somebody brought him something to eat. Don't you? I'm sure they did. Okay. Uh, then there's a woman who holds the world record for throwing a two-and-a-half-pound rolling pin. 
Well, uh, Mrs. Lori Adams of Iowa, she holds the world record for throwing the rolling pin 175 feet in the air. I bet all she has to do is reach for that thing and her husband takes out the trash without a word. Or maybe even a few more chores. <laughs> and, and one last one here. A college student, Kevin McCartney of Buffalo, New York, holds the world record after taking a shower that lasted 340 hours. It was a 14-day shower. What? Maybe you don't use so much water that you've been accused of and you compare that for sure. These are people in the text we read in our worship of preparation. Selfish ambition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. It's when you're seeking me first, when you're going to be the head person. You want to be the one who holds the world record, who comes in first. There are cousins to ambition. There's pride, selfishness, vanity, arrogance, conceit, self-importance, haughtiness, superiority. And together, the DNA that forms these, we'll just call me first. We're all familiar with that idea of me first. And in contrast to that, I want to look at the scripture that we had, that we just read in Luke chapter 9. You see, there is a problem that's recorded here in chapter 9, verse 46. (laughs) We're told that an argument started among the boys. The followers of Jesus, twelve. What was the argument about? <laughs> about which of them would be the greatest? Who's going to be the top dog? Who's going to be Mr. Spiritual? Super disciple? Which one of us? And they argued. They all had their arguments. Of, this is why I think I will be the greatest. As their bickering went back and forth. With such an argument. Here's the deal. Notice the answer Jesus gave. Jesus knowing their thoughts. Well that's something to consider. He knows our thoughts. Be careful. Okay. Back to the text. Jesus knowing their thoughts. Took a little child. And had him stand beside him. Then he said to them. Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you, he is the greatest. He says, hey, you want to be great, be like this little child. Now, there's a distinction here I want to make. When when he's looking at this little child, the point he's trying to make is be childlike. Not childish. What happens to us very often as believers is instead of being childlike, we're childish, right? Um, Maybe you've heard this. I love it. This is the rules of a toddler. Rule number one. If I like it, it's mine. Rule number two. If it's in my hand, you got it. It's mine. Rule number three. If I can take it from you, it's mine. Rule number four, if I had it a little while ago, it's mine. Rule number five, if it's mine, 
it must never appear to be yours in any way, right? Six, if I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. Seven, if it looks just like mine, you got it. It is mine. Number eight, if I saw it first, it's mine. Number nine, if you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. And number ten, if it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> this is the me first mentality. The great chapter, we call it the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And then it gives this list of sacrifice, right? If I offer my body to the flames, if I surrender all my possessions, give it to the poor. But he says, if I do it without love, it's nothing. Then he goes down to verse 11. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. God wants us to grow up spiritually. He wants to make us mature. That, that's, his, that's his heart. That's his goal. That we would become dependent upon him. Instead of always the focus being about me. Uh, so did the disciples learn this lesson? Well, turn me to Matthew chapter 20. And uh, we'll catch a glimpse of this. Matthew 20, beginning at verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. He can read their minds. He already knew, but we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead, okay? <laughs> she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. So, what happened here? Well, mom of two of the disciples, James and John, and by the way, they were first cousins of Jesus. Their mom was a sister to Mary, so blood's thicker than water, so they kind of had an unfair advantage anyway as the other disciples looked at him. And I can just imagine them rolling their eyes. Can you believe that she asked for that kind of seating arrangement? One on the side of Jesus here. One on the side of Jesus here. When I deserve to be there. Not those guys. <laughs> um, now to be fair. Jesus had earlier told them. One day they will be seated in heaven. With twelve thrones in the kingdom. That there will be. Certainly prestige involved. But now is not the time for that. I, I read this week in my studies of this. You remember Chuck Colson. Who was a top advisor to Richard Nixon. He ended up going to prison. He ended up coming to Jesus Christ's salvation, and, and God used him in a great way. But anyway, uh, Colson talked about in his days when he was serving with Nixon on Air Force One. He and the other advisors would try to move as close as they could to President Nixon in order to be able to have more influence and power. He said it was so bad that they would measure in inches how close they were to President Nixon. So nobody would have a real advantage 
in being closer to Him. Man, this kind of stuff continued on. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Here as we come near the end of the ministry of Jesus, the disciples are meeting in the upper room. He's been talking to them about the fact that his time is short and that he is about to die. And Well, you'd think in the middle of that they would, um, they would get it. But in verse 24 of Luke 22, Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be, there it is again, greatest. They should be thinking about Jesus and what he just said to them about the sacrifice he's going to make. And what are they thinking? <clears throat> Am I the greatest? Am I going to be the main guy when he's gone? That's what's going through their heads. <laughs> Jesus says to them, the kings, the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. One commentator uh, shared these words. He said, James and John are fairly confident they're going to hold the world record for being the closest to Jesus in the seating arrangement. Peter would have argued back, no, 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 no. Jesus said, I had the insight like nobody else. I'm going to be the greatest. And Andrew would have piped up, hey, I might be your little brother, Pete, but don't forget, I was the first disciple called to join the Lord, so I've been with him the longest. Then the scene continues, and remember what Jesus does as they're thinking about, I'm the greatest. Jesus goes and he takes a basin of water and a towel and he begins to wash their feet as they're worried about which of them's the greatest they see the greatest washing their feet that's the me first mentality well i want to take our remaining time and look at our outline of three points and, and paul brings these points out in his letters to the churches of the mentality we are to have, of not me first, not selfish ambition, but these are projects that we continually must develop in our lives for Jesus. First, we must be ambitious to shoulder my own load, your own load. Uh, turn me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 9 and go through verse 12. Uh, now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent. On anybody. Just be quiet. Serve others. Work hard. Then in the second letter, chapter 3, I'll read a couple of verses, 10 through 12. He revisits this same truth. He says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. 
such people, we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. As for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. Now, commentators tend to bring out this is in the time of the church where Paul has spoken about there is a rapture a-coming. And, of course, people were thinking it's going to come any moment. So the idea was, well, if Jesus is going to come any moment, why should I work? Or why should I take care of these responsibilities? I mean, after all, what does it matter? He could come before I finish this sentence. So why work? The uh, first recorded incidence of this is in A.D. 500 by a guy named Lactantius. Lactantius. Hard word, hard word, I like to say. This guy said, I'm just going to wait on Jesus. He'll be here any minute. So he quit his responsibilities. And then it happened again, you know, new millennium coming at 1,000. Everybody said, well, this must be the time where Jesus is going to come. Why work? And I can remember, you know, this millennium 2000, Y2K, all of that stuff. Jesus is coming, you know, in the, in the uh, 1988, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming. This, this has gone on over and over again through history. And Paul is basically saying, you guys need to carry your own load. You need to be responsible. You need to be accountable. You need to live for Jesus so that you are being a blessing to others, not a burden. All right, let's look at the next one here. Ambitious to shape up your lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the good things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, this is a judgment that is for believers only. Not, not for unbelievers, but just for believers. It is not a judgment in regard to sin, because the judgment of sin has already been fully paid for. As a matter of fact, uh, the word here that speaks of the bad things done, the evil things that are done, is, is a word that does not speak. The word bad does not speak of sinful things, but rather it is a word that speaks more about worthless it's a picture here um, in the races when the people would win the prize. And the prizes were passed out at this Bema Seed. And this is called the Bema Seed Judgment, which is a picture of, is what we're doing, is it worthless? It's a time where we stand before God and all the worthless things we've done with our lives, that's not going to count. But what will last is what was done for the kingdom of God. And that is what is being spoken of here. Matter of fact, if you go back here, one verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Our goal is not selfish ambition. Our ambition is to please him, to give him glory, to be glory reflectors, Instead of glory hogs. All right. One last one. As I close this. 
It is ambitious to showcase the light. Now turn me to Romans chapter 15 as we look at Paul as he is closing out his letter uh, in the book of Romans soon. Um, near the end of chapter 15 and I want to look at uh, verses 20 and 21. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. Paul wanted the light to go where there was only darkness. He wanted the message of Christ to go where the message of Christ had not been heard. And he wanted that light to come out of him. That was his ambition. That was his heart. And that is also to mark us, isn't it? I close with, with this story. Amazing story of a pastor named Dr. Charles McCoy. He preached for nearly 20 years at a little church in Oyster Bay, New York. He loved education, so he, he never got married. And while pastoring as a single man, he managed to earn seven postgraduate degrees. At 72 years old, he was forced to retire by his denomination. He didn't know what to do, but he had to step away from that pulpit. Here's what he wrote. He said, I keep thinking that my life's over and I haven't really done anything yet. I've pastored this church for many years. I've spent a lot of time working for degrees, but I haven't won many people to the Lord. One week after his retirement, a guy came to his church who was a missionary to India, and he, he spoke, and he offered an invitation to Dr. McCoy uh, to come and to preach in India. And his first thought was, I'm too old for that. His second thought was, I don't have the kind of money it takes to get a plane ticket to even go over there. But it just kept gnawing it. And God began working on him and saying, man, you need to go to India. And he couldn't get it out of his mind. And so finally, after fighting with God, and by the way, when you wrestle with God, guess who wins? So I don't know what kind of uh, wrestling hold God got him in, but he got him in one for submission. And he submitted. He said, okay, God. And so he told his people at church, he said, um, I'm 72. I, I need to go to India. God's calling me to go there. And his friends, India? Why do you want to go to India? You don't know anybody in India. He said, well, I'm just going to sell everything that I have and get a ticket, go over there. The missionary said I could stay there. So that's what he did. He sold his car and several of his possessions. And um, some of his friends asked him, said, what if you fall ill? What if you die in India? <laughs> he replied, well, it's just as close to heaven there as it is here. So he arrived in Bombay with his billfold, his passport, 
a satchel of clothes and his Bible, all which were taken away by clever pickpockets within a matter of minutes of him landing. So all he ended up with, he had his clothes on his back and the address of the missionary. So he went to the missionary's house, knocked on his door. They were shocked to see him. They invited him in, had a little spare room. He sat there and he prayed. And after two days, he came out of his room and he said, "Um, I'm going to go see the mayor of Bombay. And the missionary said, well, we've been trying to see him for years and he won't see us. So, I mean, that sounds good, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen. So he went anyway. He goes, he pulls out his business card, he hands it to someone in the office, and they look at it, excuse me, sir. The person goes back, comes back out, says, the mayor will see you at 3 o'clock. It's like, okay. So he comes back at 3 o'clock, and he finds out that when they looked at his business card and they saw those letters behind his name, they thought, this guy must be important. Why, he might even know the President of the United States. So we ought to let him talk. <laughs> and so when he came back at 3 o'clock, not only was the mayor there, but the whole office staff and a pretty large group of people. <laughs> and Dr. McCoy shared his testimony for about a half an hour. They're also impressed by his white hair and... Uh, fact he was 6'4", but anyway, God used all this stuff to get their attention. There was one guy there, he was uh, in a military uniform, and he invited him to come and to speak at the military academy, which there in Bombay would be equivalent to our West Point. And so, he went and he spoke there at that military academy. And then, amazingly enough, he started getting invitations from all over India to come and to talk. And so that's what he did. And then he began to get invitations to share the gospel in uh, for Chinese believers. He started a church of Chinese believers. And then he got invitations to speak in Egypt and the Middle East. And he had a new energy at 72. He didn't realize it was there. <laughs> he discovered. He traveled. He preached. He planted churches. He taught in schools. He discipled believers. He spoke before government leaders in several countries. His international ministry would last for 16 years. He died at the age of 88 in a hotel in Calcutta, India, just before he was to preach at a special rally to men downtown. Dr. Charles McCoy never once came back to America. Had God informed him what he had up his divine sleeve, he would have had a heart attack right there and died. But instead, he went because he was willing to showcase the light. So what about us? Am I willing to showcase the light? Are you willing to showcase the light? You know, we're going to wake up tomorrow morning and we're going to have an opportunity to either let our lives say, me first, or him first. Let's pray. Lord, uh, 
I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. And Father, this old sinful heart, it's stubborn, Lord. And Father, there's a lot of places that need to be plowed right now, Lord. And I just pray this morning you would do a work among us, Lord. Start with me and uh, move among us, Lord, that these areas that need to be plowed up that are me first. Do your work, God. And Father, with an altar that's open, may we respond to come before you to say yes to your call, to simply be obedient. Instead of putting us on the platform, may you, Lord, have that place. Father, move among us in this time that we call invitation and the altar of commitment, of dedication, of examination, that you would be glorified, that the light would shine. In your name we pray.